When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with me, Megan Gower, and between WNBA free agency and NCAA Women's Hoop, it's been a crazy week in women's basketball once again. I'm here this week with Jen Hatfield from our Her Hoop Stats team. Hey, Jen, how's it going? Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, happy to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while, but definitely excited to have you on this week. And it's funny because when I asked you to come on, I was like, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. And then WNBA free agency was like, here's 48 hours. And now there's so much content, so, so much to cover. Um, so yeah, we can just jump right into that. I think starting with the moves that happened just a couple hours ago with Simone Augustus signing with the uh, LA Sparks for what she's saying is going to be her final season in the WNBA pretty crazy very crazy I'm still in a little bit of of disbelief like is this a April Fool's gone wrong in February yeah that's kind of how I feel too I like opened Twitter and I actually saw the Lynx tweet first that was like thank you Simone and I was like oh is like Augustus retiring like that was my first initial thought and then I like kept scrolling and saw that she was going to LA and I was just like I cannot believe this like she's played her whole career for the um, Minnesota and then like LA is probably you know the Minnesota LA is the closest thing you have to like a really big rivalry in the WNBA so her to spend her last year in LA is just crazy to me my timeline is like 50% distraught Minnesota fans and 50% like WNBA observers who are equally stunned and yeah. it's just like a very weird collection of timeline activity right now 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and it's an interesting ad for LA too, who's already so stacked. Then you add Simone Augustus, who's another huge veteran player. And assuming they reset, sign Chelsea Gray, I think that's pretty much like their roster is probably set, um, unless they decide to trade someone from their bench. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that they have these six players, one of whom cannot possibly start. Chelsea Gray, Christy Tolliver, Simone Augustus, Candace Parker, and both Agumakes. Like that's six. You can't you can't play all of them at the same time. And yet, like, how do you take one out? I mean, maybe we we still don't know exactly what Simone is gonna be able to do for them given her injury history and her age. You know, maybe she will be more of a supporting player off the bench than someone who takes on a bigger role like she used to but you know they're still getting Simone Augustus yeah exactly this that experience to add that to a roster is always so impressive championship history and everything there yeah crazy move from the Sparks and then it also leaves you wondering what on earth is Minnesota going to do I feel like it's gonna happen soon probably (laughs) hopefully not before this comes out so that it's not updated by the time that half of our followers actually listen to this podcast but at the rate free agency is going nothing would surprise me I'm very curious if anyone will be able to uncover the specifics of the offers she was weighing you you have to assume that Minnesota extended her some sort of offer to return and and I wonder if it was um, simply money or if it came down to other things or even length of time like it did for like it sounds like it did for Christy Tolliver moving from Washington to L.A. this offseason. Yeah, another big offseason move for L.A., um, which also segues us nicely to uh, the Mystics because definitely wanted to get your take on their free agency moves so far being your so close to that team what are your thoughts on kind of Tolliver leaving and then obviously resigning EDG is huge for them so yeah it was a surprise to have Tolliver leave in fact Mike Tebow told me when I asked him what this year's roster would look like I asked him the day after the Mystics won the WNBA finals and he told me the band's going to be back together and that's pretty much an exact quote um and I was like, oh, phew, this is going to be great. You know, it's basically run it back part two. And, you know, everything that he'd been saying uh, throughout the offseason, most notably on the Windsider podcast, uh, were, was along those lines. You know, we've been negotiating with them. Things look good. I'm excited about it. They'll resign. And so then Christy is kind of the first shoe to drop and she goes back to L.A., which no one really saw coming um, and she made some comments in the press that it mostly just came down to a third year that, that Washington didn't want to give her because if they give her a third year, then then they're going to be crunched for money when it comes time to resent players like Ariel Atkins and Ariel Powers and you know the rest of their young core that they really like. So this was definitely a surprise. I think definitely they will miss her this year. I think they'll be worse off for it, even though they did add Leilani Mitchell um, to fill some of the things that Tolliver does. Um, they're not all of them. But I think in the long term, I, tr- I trust Mike Thibault to be playing the long game, and I think that he may have a better sense of how the new cap and the new CBA is going to play out in a couple of years, and I think he's taking the long view that in a couple of years, this will pay off. So it might not look great right now, but I kind of trust where he's going. And then, you know, you get to add Leilani Mitchell, you're getting Kiara Leslie, who was the number 10 pick last year and missed the whole year with an injury. And then 
The Mystics also have the number 12 pick, so they'll have um, some options through that. So, you know, I don't love that Tolliver's gone. It was definitely important to re-sign EDD and Emma Miesemann, who surprisingly re-signed for only one year, um, but is here this year, at least when she's not playing in the Olympics. Um, but, you know, last year they weren't the title favorites at the beginning of the year either. Vegas was, I'm pretty sure, if I remember that properly. So, um it's kind of nothing new for them. And, and to some extent it might be helpful in the beginning of the year that they have a relatively high number of players coming back. And so they're going to have that continuity that a team like Phoenix, for example, that got a lot of new pieces or, or Connecticut, which did a lot of different things um, that they might not have. So guarded optimism, I suppose, but, but sad to see Tolliver go certainly. Yeah, definitely. Continuity is a huge thing. It's kind of like what the Sun built their season on last season, which is funny because it seems to be the opposite this season. But um, yeah, I mean, and still you bring back the MVP, you bring back your finals MVP. So not a bad offseason in any regard, even with losing Tolliver. Right. And and Elena Deladon seems to be progressing okay from off-season back surgery, so that is probably the most significant part of this whole off-season for Washington, to be honest. Uh, right, exactly. If you have a healthy Elena Deldon, it's very different than an injured Elena Deldon, even though injured Elena Deldon is still MVP caliber, so um, yeah, it will be a huge add for them if she's healthy for next season. Um, if they make the finals, hopefully we finally get a healthy EDD finals run. Um, but that's way in the future, obviously, at this point. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you to the WNBA powers that be that we're taking an Olympic break this year so that we don't have to see, knock on wood, what Washington looks like minus Elena and Emma at the same time and maybe Natasha Cloud if she makes the three-on-three team. So just yeah, <laughs> thanks for that and hope that I didn't just choose somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely but also agreed that it's great that they're taking that break I feel like the W just wouldn't be fun with the number of players that would be out in the Olympic run it would just be such a like s- slim cast of characters all of your big stars wouldn't be there I think it would definitely detract from the season to try to play through that yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see how that break affects them too because I'm not sure people realize how long it is. Like it's a, it's a five week break. It's Mm -hmm. a really long break. So, and you know, some teams might not have very many folks missing for the Olympics. Um, I haven't done a full count and we don't even know some of the rosters. So, so it's still up in the air, but you know, even for a team that has everyone there, you're going to get rusty from not playing in games. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting to me, too, because it's a very, like, different approach from, like, the NWSL. It doesn't take that approach at all. Like, they played through the World Cup last year, and I think they just take, like, a week off for the Olympics. So a totally different approach from, like, what soccer does on the women's side, which is interesting. Yeah, it's also interesting with, like, the way that the schedule is sometimes unbalanced. Like, I'm pretty sure that Washington doesn't play Vegas for the first time until after the Olympic break, and then they play them, like, three times in... (laughs) you know, three weeks or whatever it is, um, which is, you know, could be interesting if, say, Liz Cambage doesn't come to the WNBA until after the Olympics or, or things like that with other players, like the unbalanced schedule could really impact things as 
perhaps teams aren't quite at full strength until after the Olympics or they're like newly reincorporating players and are kind of bumpy right after the Olympics. So that's just something to watch for. Yeah, it'll definitely make kind of some of those scheduling quirks a little bit more interesting um, in terms of what team you might see and if you're playing them before or after the Olympics or how far after the Olympics could be different. So I'm sure it'll work in some teams' favors and then others not so much, but it'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on for sure. Absolutely. So yeah, going back to the sun, because I think we started to hit on that and then shied away from it. So as someone that would describe themselves as a sun fan last week i was obviously super happy because they said do you want a bonner but now this week a whole lot of drama on the sun front um, with courtney williams not resigning with the sun but instead going to atlanta and three-way trade with phoenix that eventually gives the sun free in january um so definitely an interesting trade on the sun front from just like a basketball perspective to start I don't know. I thought it was an interesting trade. Courtney Williams is obviously a fan favorite, but also a really young and strong guard. Uh, Brian January, also obviously a great player, but I don't think she quite replaces what the Sun had in Courtney Williams. Um, so definitely an interesting trade for the backcourt. But I think what's been even more interesting about that trade has just been the um, statements from Kurt Miller and then Courtney Williams on social media and Amber Cox getting involved in there as well. So there's been a lot of social media drama about uh, whether Courtney wanted to leave, why she wanted to leave. I think she's eventually come out and said that it sounds like she wasn't really offered what she thought she should get from the start. And then they offered it afterwards, but she already wanted to go to Atlanta at that point. Um, So definitely interesting, probably good in general for the league though, right? I think and even though drama isn't necessarily positive, it gets people interested, gets it airing on shows on daytime ESPN and stuff and gets more people aware, which can't be a negative for the WNBA at this point. Absolutely. And and honestly, like this is a little bit tongue in cheek, but I'm mostly serious. Getting Courtney Williams dad to Atlanta, which finished last in the league in attendance, is a huge win for everybody. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, exactly. Like Colin and Courtney Williams are just gonna like have so much fun like I I really like Nikki Collin um I'm glad that her team looks retooled and exciting to watch next year and I think she and Courtney Williams are just gonna be a great pairing from you know how Nikki is like you know just just enables her players to go out and make plays and that's what that's what Courtney does yeah definitely that's such a fun backcourt now too personality wise like Courtney Williams Tiffany Hayes and Renee Montgomery. I don't know why Atlanta fans weren't showing up to begin with, but I would hope just the like entertainment value of those three players would be enough to get some more butts and seats there this year. And plus, oh God. (laughs) So Courtney gets to bring a teammate to Atlanta. So that's, I guess technically it was the other way around because Shakina signed first. So Shakina gets to bring a teammate to Atlanta. (laughs) <laughs> yes too so instead of Mohegan's roof going down for Strickland threes hopefully it will be Atlanta's this year um, but yeah so two Sun teammates to Atlanta which like maybe isn't a coincidence because the the Atlanta is it the GM uh used to be in Connecticut yeah I think that's who it is so yeah. it would make sense that there's some connections there that why things worked out and then I think Courtney Williams is also originally from Georgia as well so there's definitely some hometown ties there as well 
I feel like you could make a really good team based on home state in Georgia. Like Georgia versus other states would probably have a pretty good case. Yeah. Agreed. I'm trying to think like what other states would like, compete. Maybe like California. But like there's quite a few big names from California, but of course there is because it's a huge state. New York gets Stewie, so they automatically <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it seems like Brian January in Connecticut is more of a direct replacement for Strickland than for Courtney Williams, which is kind of interesting. Um, like I don't, I don't have their percentages in front of me from three point land. And I, I think Strickland might be a little bit better, but Brian January brings that defense. And like, you know, you, you may have seen on Twitter, there are lots of people who are a buzz about the defense that Jasmine Thomas and Brian January are going to play in Connecticut on the perimeter, which is definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Jasmine Thomas is an excellent defender, so adding January to that is going to be great. But I still think there seems to be a hole in, yeah, who's going to replace Courtney Williams really in their kind of like core starting lineup there. Um, And then their bench still has question marks too, I think. So I think last week when you thought they were going to re-sign Williams, their starting group looked really solid. Um, so you're like, as long as everyone stays healthy, this is a team that looks like a title contender right now. I'm a little bit more on the fence. I mean, but their front court is still one of the best in the league, probably. Yeah, that Dewana Bonner and Jonquil Jones pairing is is going to give most teams nightmares, I think. Particularly, you know, a, a team like the Mystics that struggled with size last year, uh, case in point, Brittany Griner. Um, you know, that, that seems scary as someone who covers the mystics and, uh, and I'm definitely not counting you guys out, particularly if, if Connecticut's able to keep up that streak of starting its starters in every game, uh, and staying healthy in that way. So, uh, there, there's a lot that that starting five can do, uh, to mitigate any lack of depth, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's still a lot of talent on that team. So as long as people can stay healthy, the depth question is less concerning. But of course, I don't know. Alyssa Thomas does have two <laughs> pretty messed up shoulders. So hopefully nothing worse happens to those. But that's always an item of concern. Um, and then any other just unforeseen injuries, obviously. So yeah, if Connecticut stays healthy, I think they're still in that title picture. But if not, I mean, Gretchen, you say that for a lot of teams, right? If someone major goes down, that kind of changes the title picture. Yeah, and it also seems like they might get more rest during the Olympic break than some other teams that have a lot of players going overseas. Um, so that that could be something to watch too. You know, particularly if they are banged up heading into that break, that might be a great time for them to get healthy. I mean, you can recover from a lot during that break. You can't quite fix Alyssa Thomas's shoulders but you can do <laughs> everything else yeah that is true so that will be a big benefit for them with you know less players that I think you're expecting to be named to an Olympic roster yeah and it's it's interesting too with that trade you know obviously there are conflicting accounts of you know I, I read somewhere that Courtney Williams was possibly threatening to sit out if she didn't get to go to Atlanta after she said she wanted to go there and um you know, if, if that's the case, then if you look at other trades where the player has essentially forced a trade, I feel like Connecticut got a pretty decent return for her, um, given that situation. Um, so, you know, Sun fans might be a little bit disappointed 
given how young Williams is and, and her upside potential. But if, if it is true that she was willing to sit out the year, if she had to stay in Connecticut, then, you know, they, they did pretty well. Like Chinea Guavake garnered a first round pick and that was it. And, uh, you know, Connecticut got Brian January, who is a very good player. So from that perspective, it looks pretty good. Yeah, that's very true. When you compare it to the Gobake trade, it's definitely a huge win in comparison. Um, that was probably, you know, one of the Connecticut really got robbed on that Gobake trade, trading an all-star for just a for late, not even an early first-round pick, a late first-round pick. That they ended up then trading right yep. that game anyway. <laughs> yes, to Dallas anyway. Um, but so yeah, It effectively became Chinea Gobake for Teresa Plaisance. Yes. <laughs> no offense to Teresa Plaisance, who has been tearing it up overseas. Like every time I look on Twitter, it's like a new stat line for her of like 40 and 20. So like no offense to Teresa Plaisance, but, but the son would probably say they should have gotten more for her. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, kind of talking about draft picks on the other front of Big news that dropped in the last 24 hours. Satu Sabole announced that she is officially going to declare for the WNBA draft after she finishes out this year with Oregon. So an early year early. She's a junior, so she does have another year of college eligibility. I think probably not the most shocking announcement and that a lot of people probably expected her to go. She's projected to be a lottery pick, but I think it was shocking timing because we don't usually see people make that announcement uh, you know, on February 20th versus you know, in March or April once they're done playing for the season. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, so the way that it came out, if, if people weren't aware, is uh, Holly Rowe did an interview with her. So ESPN has the news if you, if you go to their website. But Satu essentially said that she was going pro to help out her family, who is not in the best financial situation, and that she made this decision now so that she could participate in Oregon's upcoming senior night celebrations, senior day, whatever time their game is. Um, I personally was kind of surprised because number one, I didn't really know anything about her family's financial situation. And more importantly, number two, I I thought she might stick around to play with her younger sister who uh, is sitting out what is now her second year on campus um, with a knee injury. And she, she hasn't played because of injury since she got to Oregon. So I thought that Satu might want to play with her younger sister on the court. And, you know, she said as much in, in her announcement that she was really disappointed and sad that she didn't get to play with her sister, but she really wanted to make sure that her family was cared for and that uh, she said she said something about making sure that her siblings had more than one pair of shoes a year um, that was really uh, tugging on your heartstrings. So, um good for her. Um, I wonder, you know, how much of it can we credit to the new CBA? Maybe we'll never really know, but, uh, you know, at least the, the financials that we have now incentivized her to go pro, which isn't an insignificant thing for a league that's really been trying to work to improve in that area. Yeah, definitely. Though I do think like the financial incentive might be less about the WNBA and more about what she could make, you know, in Europe or overseas after the WNBA season. I mean, also in sponsorship money, but still, sure. definitely the new CBA helps that. 
Um, but yeah, I think the only thing that was surprising about her announcement was that you know that her sister's there, so did they want to play together? But from a perspective of like what she's looking to accomplish in college, you know, if Oregon wins the title this year, she'll get that. If they don't win it this year, they're probably not the favorite to do so next year when they lose, you know, Sabrina and Hebert. So, um, you know, this kind of like big ending March run, that's a lot of the big part of what players are looking for in college is probably this year is when she's going to get that chance. Um, and then she's also ready. I mean, if you see her play, I think she's probably the most pro ready player in the country. Uh, she's going to be a lottery pick. Her stock is really high right now. So it's a good time to go. Yeah, definitely. Where do you think she's going to fall? I think this is an interesting question. I mean, I think everyone would unanimously agree that she's uh, probably a lottery pick. But do you think Dallas you know, doesn't take Hawk and takes her at second? Or do you think she falls to third, which would be I think Indiana has the third pick right now? Yeah, Indiana's got three, and if she falls to three, I suspect that Marianne Stanley will will want her and will take her there. I don't see her falling to four. Um, I have no idea what Dallas is going to do because, like, I don't think they have any idea what they're going to do so much. Like, they they have ideas, plural. Like, uh, Greg Bibb said to Howard Magdal like last week, like they're definitely not done. You know, they've got like a million picks approximately in this draft. <laughs> they'll probably end up dealing some of them because they would have to cut several of those picks. Like they just don't have roster spots for all those. Um, even if they wanted them all, which like arguably you probably don't want half your roster being rookies. Um, and so like, it kind of depends on, you know, if they go out and they acquire a bunch of players who play the four, then they might just not really have room for Cox, but they might also draft her and then flip her. So like, I don't really know what Dallas is going to do, but I suspect that she'll go top three regardless. Yeah. Agreed. I think in a world where like Sabrina's name wasn't so big, she could be the overwhelmed, like number one pick, like basketball wise. I think she actually could be a better fit for New York. I mean, New York has a pretty strong guard presence on their roster and Sabalay would fill a good hole for them. But I think there's just something to be said for the popularity of Sabrina and what that'll bring to New York and their like stock as a team in terms of bringing in fans and attention and they're moving to Barclays. So that's a huge thing. Um, so I think there's a world where Sabalay's, you know, her, I think she's more pro ready than Sabrina, which might be a slightly controversial opinion, but not that controversial. Um, so a more immediate impact player, but I think that the right move for New York is to take Sabrina just because the, the attention that that draws. Yeah, I feel like this is the ultimate like vanilla ice cream versus chocolate ice cream debate. <laughs> like, and and they seem pretty set on Sabrina, so I I'm not sure yeah. it's a debate for them, but for you know everyone, it's like ne- neither one is bad, right? Right. Like, <laughs> like you're good, you're fine. Just just pick one. You can't have them both, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, maybe you can, but you're going to have to pay a lot for both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think we'll see that. It would be pretty crazy. But who knows? The way this free agency is going, nothing will surprise me at this point. <laughs> and then it looks like, you know, Hebert looks like a first-round pick, so that would give Oregon three first-round picks in this year's draft. And, and the crazy thing is, like, they're going to be good next year, too. Like, looking at their roster, looking at their insane freshman class, like, Anyone who's tired of Oregon, like, sorry. <laughs> they're still coming. <laughs> yeah, they're still coming for you. Yeah, I think that's funny. I feel like, I mean, 
do I think they're going to be as good as they were this year, next year? No, but they're still got such a stacked roster. And with that freshman class, you know, in a couple and a year after when they're all sophomores, they're going to be insane again. So, you know, Oregon is here to stay, at least for the meantime. Yeah, and they've got they've got the younger Savoli, uh, who's injured right now. They've got Sedona Prince, who's a transfer from Texas. Like they they've got a lot on that team. I'm I'm like already excited to watch them play UConn next year. <laughs> yeah, um, that's like, gonna be a fun game. Number one player and great recruiting class. Like that's gonna be good. Yeah, it's gonna be a really fun game to watch. Um, two teams that aren't going anywhere. Even if people think you kind of is because they're at six. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> is, is the sky falling? Yeah. You, I don't know if you saw like the clip on Twitter of the um, interview with Gino where he's just like joking around about like how everyone keeps telling him it's going to be okay, but it's pretty funny. Like his level of sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so yeah getting a little bit ahead of ourselves talking about next year already but looking ahead for NCAA I think we're you know, three or four weeks out from the start of the tournament now great radio I don't remember <laughs> how many weeks it is exactly we'll be in a New Orleans in just over a month so that's super exciting um, but yeah lots of fun postseason stuff coming up do you have any like specific things in the postseason storylines that you're looking to follow or things you're excited to see how they shake out there's just so many things like I tried to make a list and I just kind of stopped because I was like I have too many to even get to I mean I feel like UConn has to be one and I'm honestly less interested in what seed they get because like whatever you know they still have to play and and more interested in in where they end up um so I feel like that's one that we could definitely talk about um I also just watched Tennessee Arkansas and was thinking a lot about Tennessee um, though plug, if you like watching fast paced basketball, Arkansas is really fun to watch. Um, but with Tennessee, there's just a lot of interesting storylines. Like, um, you know, they still need to do some, do some work to lock up their seed. They're not assured a bid. So that's the first thing, but you know, how far can they go? Can Kelly Harper get to a second straight sweet 16? Like does Tennessee get a gasp, double digit seed again? Like sorts of stuff going there so like UConn and Tennessee were the first two that came to mind for me fair yeah those are definitely good ones um on kind of similar notes I have on my list is can anyone actually beat this Oregon team now that they seem to have like found their um you know stride I think it took a little bit at the beginning of the season but they've looked really really good these last few games obviously we'll get a good chance to see them again against Stanford this weekend which will be another good test for them um so interested to see if before the final four they can anyone can beat them even if anyone can beat them really in the final four but uh, I also have a seeding question on that one of like if Oregon wins out before the tournament do they get that overall number one seed I personally think they should I don't know if it will happen but I'm kind of interested to see how that shakes out. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, South Carolina has looked really good, too. Um, I I really hope we get both Oregon and South Carolina in New Orleans. I think that would be a heck of a championship game, personally. Yeah. Definitely another storyline is is how uh, Don Staley's freshmen handled their first NCAA tournament. I love Aaliyah Boston. She's looked really good. Zaya Cook's really good. Brie Beal is awesome, particularly defensively. Like, they've looked awesome. But, you know, 
senior leadership is is always something that teams want to have and they want to have it for a reason um and and you know definitely south carolina has some of that but they also have a lot of youth who will be playing in their first tournament and um you know i guess we'll see whether don staley and ty harris can can steady the troops uh enough to to get them to new orleans but I think it would be a really great Final Four if both those teams are in there. Agreed, definitely. I mean, I think they're, barring something unforeseen happening before the end of the regular season, they're probably your number one and number two seed overall. I would have them at one and two overall right now. I know, oh, I think a lot of the predictions have Baylor at number two and Oregon at three, but when you put them side by side, I think Oregon's just played a lot more teams. So their schedule, they're, even though they have that one extra loss, their schedule is just stronger and the resume is stronger. But yeah, where they'll fall one and two, I think they're the top two teams in the country probably. Um, so it'll, that would be an excellent Final Four game or ch- national championship game. So hopefully we will get that. Yeah, definitely. And, and it seems like Baylor's flying a little bit under the radar. They, they kind of dipped under the radar when Lauren Cox got hurt and then they never quite came back on. And now they play in the Big 12 where they're not challenged every single night in the way that say Oregon is um and so they I feel like could almost sneak up on people which is a little bit weird to say about the defending champs <laughs> yeah don't count a Kim Mulkey team out oh agreed never count Tim, Kim Mulkey team out yeah I feel like they're in a weird spot where they could sneak up on people or they could get snuck up on just because they haven't really played a really difficult team Basically, since they played UConn, I think it's like the last kind of big game that they played. They kind of just not quite to the extent that UConn mostly has its way through the AAC, but they just flow through the Big 12. There's not a lot of tough tests for them there. Um, so they really won't see anything that's a really tough test till March rolls around. Yeah, and they've definitely had some games where it took them a little bit to establish that separation between themselves and, and teams that they should be separating from. So um, I definitely think that they can play better, um, but at the same time, they deserve credit for not losing. So, and, exactly. and you know, we've all seen what Lauren Cox and company can do. So, I would not be surprised at all if they make another Final Four, and and if they lose, you know, we'll we'll tip our hats to whoever knocks them off. Yeah, definitely. Another one on my radar, also from the Pac-12, is is. Can UCLA find someone that steps up and scores when they need someone to score? Because I've watched so many UCLA games and they just they go on these stretches where it's like their defense is fantastic, but they cannot make a basket. And if they want to make a run in March, which they are like they are a strong enough team to do, but if they want to make that run, they need to find someone that can score for them. Um, other than Michaela Anywhere and Dupree Dean, who do carry most of the load for them, but they need someone else to step up. Lately, it seems like their freshman, Chrisma Osborne, has been starting to take that role, so maybe she can fill that in, but they need something on offense. So I'm interested to see if they can find that. Yeah, definitely. So if I, if I somehow went to the future and I came <laughs> back and I reported to you right now that there were two Pac-12 teams in the Final Four and one was Oregon... Who would you pick as the other one? Would it be UCLA or would it be Oregon State, Arizona, Arizona State, somebody totally random? I think I'm going UCLA. I think, I mean, even they played Oregon State, I think it was Monday, and they went over seven minutes without scoring and still managed to win in overtime, and that's against a really tough team. Um, So if they can find their way for their buckets to fall – 
and they are in the right bracket where they don't have to face, you know, one of those monster teams, maybe they could make it to the final four. I think I don't think it's out of the question. Yeah, I definitely think geography could come into play here too. Like where you get sent for the Sweet Sixteen. Insert plug for Debbie Antonelli's Sweet Sixteen the Vegas idea. Um, but you know, last year UCLA, I believe, was a six seed in the NCAA tournament, and they flew east for their first round of games. And you know, they they traveled a bunch of miles, and they still managed to upset Maryland um, and make it to the Sweet Sixteen. So you know, hats off to them, but. You know, I feel like a Pac-12 team that gets to stay closer to home, whether that's by hosting at first and then not going all the way east or or by some other geographical permutation, will have an advantage there just based on time zones. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they're definitely set up to be hosting, despite like, unless they have some kind of really big fall off in the next two weeks. They're, I think, on the two line right now, probably. So by all means, should be hosting the first two rounds. Um, they probably won't end up in Portland for original. I think, honestly, this year it's going to be less about geography and more about all the rules about how many teams from a certain conference can be in each group of the bracket because there's just a couple of conferences that are so strong. So I think that's going to play the biggest role in where people end up going. But yeah, yeah I, think- no, I wrote that down too. I, I wrote down, I hate the G curve. So I'm actually like pretty pleased about that. Like, you know, yeah. the, the casual fan might remember this most pointedly from Louisville keeping running into UConn in later rounds of the tournament, just because like they're both relatively Eastern schools and they just seem to line up that way. Um, and I just don't think that's super fair. And that has nothing to do with Louisville or UConn specifically, but just just like, you know, if a team is better than another team then they deserve the right to be seated accordingly and not mitigated by geography. So I wish the selection committee would just shell out the money to help teams get to where they need to go. Like on the men's side, there isn't a G curve. And I I think that that, that should change. But agreed. Yeah. <laughs> no, agreed. I think it shouldn't be about where you are. It should be about you know, where, who the best teams are. And I think we might really see that this year. People are going to, from first glance, probably think it's geography, but a lot of it's going to be the conference rules. Something like the Pac-12 right now, I think, and if you look at Charlie Cream's latest bracket, UCLA and Stanford are both on that two line. So if there's two, two seeds from the Pac-12, neither of those can go to Portland if Oregon's the one. Then you've probably got Arizona on the three line. It's like a whole mess trying to figure out where teams can actually go. So, um It'll be interesting to see uh, how that all shakes out. But I think that's going to be the biggest play in where teams go, not geography. Add it to the list of reasons why the Pac-12 is awesome this year. Yes. (laughs) So much fun to watch. (laughs) I'm also curious. One other thing that I wrote down was who winds up as the home team in quotes at the final four. Like if Baylor makes it, they are the home team, like they will travel. But if Baylor gets upset, like it could kind of be anybody's game in New Orleans. Yeah, I don't know that they'll be a home favorite. I guess South Carolina's not that far. And they um, travel. Like, yeah, and they do travel. Are, are. But, you know, Oregon Duck fans will travel well. UConn yeah. fans travel. Like, so it could, be, it could be interesting if Baylor's not there as far as just like, you know, it's going to be loud either way. Um, and it might be more mixed up if it's not Baylor um so that'll be interesting 
uh, other teams that, that could make it, uh, I wrote down Maryland. It's going to be interesting to see if they come together. They seem to be a team that everyone thinks they have potential, and then it just varies on a given night how they look relative to that potential. Lately, they've been playing well. They blew out Iowa, um, which was super impressive. Iowa's also an impressive team, seeing what they do. So the Big Ten could be interesting. Yeah, the Big Ten tournament is another one that's going to be really interesting. And Maryland's an interesting one. I was spending a bunch of time yesterday kind of looking at the resume just because I was trying to understand the case for like why they're moving up into that. Most people are saying they're probably that fourth number one right now. And I'm like, they have four losses. But like when you look at it, there are four losses and none of them are to bad teams. Most of them are older losses. Like since I think it's since January 9th they haven't lost a game, which outside of those big like top three teams I don't think that's really true for anyone else um and they've had to play a bunch of hard time teams in that slate in the big time so they've been making some pretty big statements with some bigger wins and they do look like a lot better team I think than they looked like you know in December um so they're an interesting one to follow yeah and they they lost Iowa in January in the first meeting that might have been the January 9th um I don't have it in front of me but but they avenged that one like kind of times two they beat them once but they beat them by like 30 so um which it's actually super interesting um Ava Wallace in the Washington Post wrote about this how uh, Maryland's like major change was getting the players more comfortable with being uncomfortable so they did things like mixing up the routine on where players sit in video sessions and like changing up the order of their warm-ups just like little things that apparently like threw them off a lot and once they kind of got over that they were like oh we can relax a little bit so kind of oversimplifying but it was a neat it was a neat story about how sometimes it's not the big changes it's just a few small tweaks that make all the difference yeah that's super interesting really unique perspective on what makes it different there wow the other other one i had on my list was the uh, Missouri Valley Conference. There's right now, I think in the bracket, three teams there. I've got Missouri State as a five seed, and then Drake as an eight, and then there's Bradley that's kind of hanging on the edge there. They're like right on the bubble with an 11. So, can the NBC be a three bid league? Maybe. I don't know. Bradley's got a couple of tough games coming up. They've got one against Drake, I think, actually tonight. So, that might have already happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have one um against mvc coming up as or not mvc sorry missouri state coming up this wall so two big chances to kind of add some bigger games to their uh resume to make their case for an at-large big or can they manage to steal it in the mvc tournament i don't know what missouri state's seed is right now but if if they want to do a missouri state versus tennessee NCAA tournament game i'm here for it (laughs) <laughs> that would be awesome they are a five so i think it's possible <laughs> Possible, yeah tennessee i mean tennessee's lost like five in a row right now after their loss tonight so it could happen um but i guess we'll have to see i mean i think i think both um both coaches are are doing a, a great job this year so nothing against tennessee for losing the sec is just hard so yeah <laughs> The only other one that I had um, kind of on the individual side instead of the team side is does any one player, I guess a senior or an eligible junior, 
get really hot in the NCAA tournament and significantly improve her draft stock. Like we hear about that on the men's side a fair amount with the NCAA tournament and, and how that can happen. But I feel like we hear about it less on the women's side. And I'm curious whether somebody changes their, their perceived draft stock, you know, significantly based on how they perform in the, in the postseason. Yeah, I think a good candidate for that is Crystal Dangerfield at UConn because I think if they're going to make some kind of, you know, run, make a Final Four, she's going to be a huge piece of that. So I think she has a chance to, if they can outperform expectations for what this UConn team was going to do, she's a big piece and she could definitely elevate her draft stock with that. Yeah, I, I feel like she hasn't missed a three in like three weeks. <laughs> like, yeah. one, but it's almost like none of them count. Like. Every time she shoots it, it looks like it's going in. Yeah, we just need that to happen against, you know, a top five opponent. <laughs> that seems to be the problem with this UConn team in a lot of ways. But yeah, um, but yeah, she's a big one. I'm trying to think who else would be major ones to keep an eye on. I think Taya Cooper with South Carolina as well. Um, or sorry, not Taya Cooper, Ty Harris. Mixing up my South Carolina point guards. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Ty Harris for South Carolina. I think she was huge for them in that UConn game. She's probably going to need to be huge for them down the stretch if South Carolina is going to make a Final Four or have a shot at a national championship because, like you were saying earlier, it's a really young roster. They're going to need that senior leadership. So another one that has a chance to really elevate her draft stock. Um, yeah, maybe even, maybe even Herbert Harrigan, too, at South Carolina, mm-hmm. if, she, if she plays a big role, say, in a national championship run. Um, I think her draft stock's currently lower than Harris's is, so um, maybe more room to go up. Um, but, you know, like every time I watch Ty Harris, I'm like, why is she not talked about more? She's she's actually, like, I think she looks relatively small on the court, but she's she's got good size for a point guard. She's super smart. She's been coached by... Dawn Staley for four years and she already has a ring like she's she's pretty great yeah Taya Cooper is another one too even though I messed up my names before she's <laughs> also on that list of people that could you know be it. I think we saw it with Chloe Jackson kind of in the final for Baylor last year um definitely elevated her draft stock a little bit with having a huge game to help them win that national championship and Taya Cooper could have a chance to do a similar thing yeah, it's it, that would be a great story too because they're actually really close friends, which I didn't know until I wrote a story around Thanksgiving for High Post Hoops, kind of comparing their games. But apparently, they're friends, and part of the reason that Cooper went to Baylor was because she saw Chloe Jackson have such an awesome year. So uh, that would be very deja vu to have Cooper do something similar. Yeah, definitely. That's funny. I didn't know they were close friends either, but that's a really cool storyline. Yeah. And and we haven't even talked about the ACC, and apparently NC State just escaped with, like, a two-point win over Miami, which I don't understand what's going on with Miami. Um, but, like, at the beginning of the year, we were talking about Beatrice Montpremier, and now we don't talk about her anymore, um, which is kind of sad. You know, whenever we talk about someone going up, someone else has to go down, and, and I hope Montpremier gets a chance to show, show off what she can do as well. Yeah, agreed. On that note, also just like looking forward to figuring out who the All Americans are going to be because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. But outside of Inescu and Cox, I feel like no one's a lock. I don't really know who the other three All Americans are going to be. We're probably going to see a lot of different All American teams, but it's going to be interesting. 
Yeah, I'll be curious if Aaliyah Boston shows up on there. She's been yeah. great. You know, it, it's really hard to live up to expectations when you get a triple-double in your first game, but I feel like she's actually lived up to expectations, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah, she's been yeah. so good. Like, so good that everyone keeps mistakenly calling her, like, the number one recruit in her class on the broadcast. I've noticed that happened quite a few times. I'm like, she wasn't, but she's still playing like it, so that's fine. <laughs> she wasn't, but no, she is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe maybe Pivik, maybe Onionware. Yeah. Kathleen Doyle from Iowa's got an argument. Uh Kyla Charles has been playing well but not out of her mind. Kennedy Carter, there's so many Ryan Howard. Like every time I say a name, I'm like, oh my gosh, who am I gonna forget? Louisville. You know. Uh, I do think that this will probably be the first year in a while that UConn doesn't have an all American. I don't think. I don't, I'm not sold on anyone on that team being an All-American at the end of the season. So I guess we'll have to ask Gino again. Um, <laughs> he and he'll, he'll tell us that it's going to be okay. <laughs> and meanwhile, the sky is falling in South Bend, Indiana. I saw in a graphic today that, that Notre Dame's been to like 24 straight tournaments or something. Um, and so the sky is falling. Yes. So yeah, if you're a UConn fan and really think the sky is falling, just take a look at Notre Dame. But Muffet McGraw has been great about it. I don't know if you saw her tweet the other day, but it was excellent. It was her with uh, the UNC head coach, whose name I'm blanking on. (laughs) Yeah, something along the lines of, you know, (laughs) the fallen franchises. (laughs) Franchises in a down year. Yeah, so that was excellent. That got a sense of humor about it, which is what you need at this point, I think. So uh, it was good to see that. They should have picked Nikki Collins' brain from Atlanta. Yeah. But but maybe they can watch her, how she digs herself out of the one-year lull and a suit, though, uh, as a Duke men's fan, Roy doesn't necessarily need to take that advice. <laughs> that, that's fair. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm sure Notre Dame will be back in no time. I mean, Sam Brunel was supposed to be, you know, one of your top freshmen this year. She hasn't had a great year, but hasn't had a lot of pieces around her either to help her with that. Notre Dame's just had a bad break with injuries on top of everything else. So Yeah. Um, I really liked watching Peoples when she was healthy. I think she's injured at the moment or suffered an injury fairly recently. Um I haven't been watching Notre Dame a lot all that recently, but but people's fun to watch and um you know they've got they've got pieces they're just super young which is honestly what we should all expect from a team that graduated five NBA players so um yeah it, it's it is interesting to think about what they would be with Jackie Young right now though like would we would we be saying essentially the same thing but they would be like quite a lot better but we'd be like Jackie Young can't be expected to do all of it and so they're like a middle of the pack tournament team instead of like not. Um, but who knows? Yeah, I think that's probably what would be the case. I think she made the right decision to leave, right? I mean, first of all, her draft stock last year where she gets to be the number one pick versus this year where pretty clear that was going to be Sabrina. Sabrina didn't declare last year, which she didn't. And, um, and then, yeah, what were you coming back to versus, you know, you just played two final fours and won a championship with four other WM feature WMBA players by your side so I think she made the right choice yeah can you imagine trying to debate lottery picks if Jackie Young was in this draft so you'd have Sabrina and Jackie Young and Lauren Cox 
and Sachi Savali and maybe Kennedy Carter, like on <laughs> yeah. and on. Like, yeah, it would be insane. That's just fun. Yeah. Yeah, Jackie Young will always remind one of those like crazy kind of stories where like people probably most people I thought she was the best player in Notre Dame. A lot of people didn't argue that she was the best player in Notre Dame yet became the number one pick in that draft, which is kind of crazy. Um, My pick for best player on that Notre Dame team tore her ACL, which was very sad. But that's just Shepard for anyone who's not following that um, for the Minnesota Lynx, um, but. Hopefully, she will be back better than ever soon. Yes, and hopefully part of whatever Cheryl Reeves' game plan is. <laughs> whatever Cheryl Reeves' game plan is. Uh, I, I said that Mike Tivo probably has a long-term game plan. Don't doubt Cheryl Reeves either. And we'll all be at her mercy until she decides to reveal her hand. Yes, exactly. Hopefully, no, it hasn't been happening in the last half hour while we've been talking. Wouldn't be surprised if I opened Twitter and the whole world's on fire again. That seems to My be the deal. My phone hasn't buzzed with anything, so I'm hoping that, I mean, you know, she could have done some things, but she didn't do anything earth-shattering. Like, what if she just, like, acquired an entire Olympic roster? You know, from like I don't know, like the entire Australian roster or whatever. He brought in a bunch of foreign players and was like, "Here, this is my new team." Anything is possible <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I was like already like, "Oh, things are pretty crazy." And then Simone Augustus went to LA, and now I'm just like, "Anything can happen." I have no idea <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and then Satu Sabli declared on a random Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been quite the Thursday. And and Chelsea Dungy announced tonight from Arkansas uh, in a video that was filmed before the game and and shown during the Tennessee Arkansas broadcast that she will not declare early. Um, she is eligible to declare, but she will not declare early. Um, she said something to the effect of wanting to give Arkansas head coach Mike Neighbors all she had before leaving, and and expressed like a great deal of loyalty to him, which was very very sweet of her. Oh, that's awesome and obviously excellent news for Arkansas fans yeah so now we just need to go around the country and interrogate every draft eligible, <laughs> eligible junior yeah <laughs> well I do like the idea of you know them making that decision now versus being forced to make it in what was it like 48 hours that they give them after they play their last game like that's so hard with all the emotions of everything that happens in March yeah, maybe it is better to sit down and make that decision yeah, and, yeah, and thank you, WNBA, for pushing the draft back. Like, I think yes. we have, like, 10 days now. So Yeah, they've got a little bit more time. Because last Friday year it was, like, now. the Friday. It was, like, the Final Four ended on Sunday, and then the draft was, like, Wednesday or something. And it's, like, Friday the 17th this year. So there's, like, a couple weeks. Which or, is also great for your friendly Mystics reporter, me, who has a regular old unrelated day job. Yes. And we'll draft no matter what night it takes place so i'm excited about that yeah no agreed it makes all of our lives that are trying to cover basketball and also work at a regular job a lot easier when things are not all smushed into like two weeks and you're just like i can't give up yeah, it's be intense. I'm very excited to see it excited to see how coach tebow shakes it up Right when we think we've got them all figured out, for zigging when everyone else sags. So uh, we'll probably have something mind blowing happen before we get to him with the number twelve pick, and then he'll do something crazy. 
Yeah. I'm expecting some kind of like big draft day trade this year. The way things are going, that just like seems like it's in the cards. So Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that could be a big one. But yeah, so lots of stuff coming up. New Orleans in a month. I'm excited. Now you're excited. Listeners, if you have food recommendations in New Orleans, you should let us know. Please send us all of your food recommendations. We are here for it. There will be four of us there. Between all of us, we can eat a lot of things. (laughs) We are going to cover the tournament, but the food might be about a bit or two. (laughs) We will put some on our Insta stories if we're feeling particularly um, sherry. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We'll show you all the basketball and all the beignets. Yep. Basketball and beignets. <laughs> the new <What> be better. <laughs> name of the Final Four podcast. Calling it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can we can we actually have beignets? It'll be like have you listened to the Julie Foudy podca- podcast? Yes, I'm obsessed It'll with it. It'll be like yes. <laughs> making appearance in every Julie Foudy podcast. Yes. So I love it. We're doing it. <laughs> All right. I think that's it for tonight. Thanks for joining me, Jen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always great to to talk about NCAA, WNBA, Gino, <laughs> everything else in the world. Beignets. <laughs> the most important thing, the beignets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, looking forward to seeing you in New Orleans. Yes, definitely. Can't wait. Thank you all for listening. As always, we ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps more people find us. Also, if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, make sure you check out the stats website at herhoopstats.com. All the NCAA stats and data that you need, especially heading into March. Um, So definitely check that out. And as always, thank you for listening. (laughs) 